everyone, welcome to On and Off the Pitch. This is an interview with, and I'm joined today by Hayley Peacock, player with Queen's Park Rangers Women. Uh, hello, Hayley, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too, I'm not too bad, actually, considering it's a lot cooler. And I'm, I'm much more, much happier for it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm sure everyone else is... Whoever time that they're listening or watching this is appreciating the fact that it is not melting weather anymore. Oh, listen. <laughs> we would have had to have um, scheduled this interview for the, the Sainsbury's Isles by, you know, the, the, the ice creams and lollies because it, the, the air con where I am doesn't really work that well. Oh. <laughs> I feel like you the background noise, by the way. I live in South London and there's quite a lot of complaints. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they must have driven. Listen, before we started, I heard at least three sirens, and I was thinking, are they going to keep going up and down the road? So, you know, it's not just in, in South London. I think it's just London generally. It's just yep. London generally. Right, let's, let's get into this. You play for Queen's Park Rangers, yes? Yes. Right. I want to find out about your journey into football um, and how you ended up at Queen's Park Rangers. So, for for me, could you tell me what it was like for you as a child growing up and wanting to play the sport that you currently currently play now? Yeah, so, I mean, I think if I was a kid now and I was going into football, I think oh, my journey would look totally different. But the journey I had was really tough. Um, so I, I started playing football like every young girl, I think, just in my garden. Like I would be really annoying to my dad and, and force, force him to come and take me to the park so I could just pretend to be David Seaman or Ian Wright or whoever it was that I was obsessed with at the time as a kid. Um, and I didn't have any, there were no girls football teams when I was growing up. Um, there was only boys football teams. We had uh, a football team at school and that was a boys team. And I basically had to beg to, to be on that, on that side. So I had really limited football opportunities. Um, the only time I really got to play sort of organized football was whenever, so I grew up in South London, so our local team was Crystal Palace, and they would sometimes have like some community coaches coming down into schools and on inset day and, and running a session. And I would be on my parents all the time to let me go, because it would be the only time that there'd be football that wasn't just sort of, it was for boys and for girls. And I would always be like the, either the only one or there'd be like three other girls there. Um, and it was really, it was really difficult to kind of find a community of, of other girls that wanted to play football. So, you know, a few years later, um, Crystal Palace um, set up a girls football team. Uh, and again, I think I'm just really lucky that I happened to be in an area where there was a, a big team um, near where I was because the only other big teams around me would probably be like Millwall Lionesses. And, you know, they were still miles away. And my parents, you know, they, they had really busy jobs and um, they, they, it wouldn't have been possible for me to, to be able to go. So, yeah, I was just really fortunate that they had started a team and it was not too far away. I know lots of other girls that started to play football would travel hours and get buses all hours of the day just to try and get to training or, you know, their parents might not have had a car, so they'd have to, like, try and get a lift from someone else. And it is really difficult when you're growing up. Um, so I started playing at Palace from, like, 13 years old uh, up until when I was 16. And then we didn't have, like, um, there wasn't... Like, like an under 18 squad. So you basically went from 16 and you went straight into the senior team. And I was playing with this, like these 30 year old women and I, I'm still quite small. I was very small then. So it was really challenging and it really put me off actually. Um, even my dad was like, I wouldn't want to play in that team. Um, Cause it's just 
you know, they're obviously, you know, much bigger and much stronger. And I was just like a little 16 year old. And um, yeah, really, it really, it, it, I found it really hard. So I just concentrated on school from then. I didn't get back into football really until I was 22 after that. And then I started to take it a lot more seriously. Um, and then when I got to about 25, you know, I really, I had a really good coach at university and he filled me with loads of confidence and belief and, and said that, you know, here are some of the things that I think you need to work on. But if you focus on those things and, you know, you get yourself nice and strong in the gym and physically prepared for a high level of sport, I think you can, I think you can do it. And so, you know, I tried really hard and in the last, like, you know, the, the four, three or four years after that, um, I started trialing for different clubs and I ended up at Queen's Park Rangers in 2016 and I've stayed there ever since. So that's, that's my journey. It's been quite a long one. Um, but I think playing for QPR has definitely been like the absolute highlight of that journey. You know, you mentioned something there in terms of your, from childhood, um, your, your teenage years. Uh, the, from 16, basically, you'll be asked to play with women almost twice your age. And the experience puts you off. Yeah. What, what was going through your mind at that point that you said, I can't do this or I don't want to do this? I think there's a couple of things. The first one was that I thought I wasn't ready or I wasn't good enough because it would just seem like such a big jump. And it's just because the, the squad and the club didn't have enough funding to be able to have a much more smooth journey from you know, the youth system into the senior system because it was still like, you know, really early stages back then. But um, that was that was my first thought. But then also, I think I went to a school where, you know, they really they really want everyone to go to university. And it was quite um, a lot of the girls did really, really well at my school. And at that point, actually, I was struggling a lot. Um, I didn't do very well. Uh, I, I didn't think I did very well at all when I was at school. So I wanted to use that time to really focus on my studies. Um, Ended up being kind of a running theme actually when I was growing up because I ended up studying at uni for like eight years. But um, yeah, I think it was trying to refocus um, some of my energy into education for a while. And then once I felt a bit more settled with that, then that's when I started to, to go back into football. Yeah. Are you able to mention the school you were at? Because you say, you know, you, they, there was an expectation for you to do really well and go to university. What school was this? Uh, I went to a convent girls' school in Croydon called Coloma. Um, amazing school. I really loved my time there. It was so great. Um, so much fun. But yeah, like I said, like they have quite, they have really high standards, really, really high standards. So, um, you know, if you, if you weren't performing well at school, you, you would know about it because the teachers wanted you to do really well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but they didn't push you necessarily in the same sporting way. So they didn't see that side of you then. No, they didn't. And actually, um, I, was, I think I was the, there was a few girls in my school who were like really, really, really talented at sports. I think a couple of them ended up playing, um, also representing the country in sort of things like kickboxing and netball and lacrosse and things like that. We never had a football team. So I remember asking my PE teachers if we could have a football team and I ended up kind of semi-coaching them. So I'd like try so hard to get enough girls to play in this team so that we could have a, a girls football team that I'd like at lunchtime, I'd find someone who was good at like another sport and be like, do you want to come and play some football with me? Just stop on the lacrosse pitch and uh, we could do a little bit of skills or something. And they'd be like, oh, do I have to? I'm like, yeah, because I need to get 11 players for the team. So <laughs> if you just come along, it'd be worth your while. 
So I ended up kind of helping a few players like with some football stuff so we could have like our first ever game. I think it was when I was about 15, uh, which was against like the school next door to us. You know, our school, they always have like a rival school right by them. Um, and we absolutely hammered them. So that was brilliant. Um, but yeah, so it was, they, they didn't really get to see. They knew that I played football and I was like the only footballer in the school basically um, at that time. There's a few more like later on, but yeah, it was it was difficult because we didn't have like a team, so I couldn't really I couldn't really show that I could play sports. I didn't I wasn't that great at all the other sports either, to be honest. <laughs> so, so yeah. your your love for football really was from a very early age, and you were solely focused on football as well as your academic studies. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was very much like I mean, I loved running. I did loads of cross country running when I was a kid, and I still love running now, like on the pitch though, not necessarily out on a, on the road, but. But yeah, no, I was, I, was, I was obsessed with football as a kid. Okay. Um, uh, before we go to QPR, obviously you're at Crystal Palace. Um, what was it like there for you? Did you enjoy your time playing? Did you feel that you, you, know, you learned quite a bit there or did you feel that you didn't get enough out of your time at the club? Um, so back then when... The, when you think about Crystal Palace, you think like now you look at the Crystal Palace setup and it's incredible that what they've done to be able to have a really smooth transition for like kids, young, young girls into a senior squad that's playing at a really, really high level. And they've got some amazing footballers. When I was playing, you know, this is a long time ago and there was like, it was coached by someone's dad. Um, it was, you know, sharing a pitch, like a tiny bit of a pitch with other players, uh, other, other squads and stuff like that. So it wasn't the same. Um, we only trained like one night a week, um, eventually moving into two, but then, you know, it was, it was difficult. But I remember like that was, I have really, really fond memories of that time and not very many players actually from my, um, my cohort ended up playing much now. So I think one of the girls that, who was the captain of my year, she ended up playing at Palace for like, you know, pretty much all of her playing career. Um, but a lot of the other girls didn't and they kind of didn't want to follow through with that. And I found that quite interesting, you know, what barriers they might have faced wanting to continue with football. Because you would have thought, you know, you play for Crystal Palace when you're 12 and you go all the way up to 16 and maybe into senior squad. But then you don't, you stop playing like when you're, you know, when you're 18 or 19. Like, why is that? And I just think they were just, it's just so challenging. At that time, it was so challenging to continue playing football. There weren't very many teams there isn't any funding. Um, you have to mix it with your job. You have to mix it with everything else. If you want to start a family and you're not getting, you know, support, financial support from your club, then that's, you know, and that's a re reality now, you know, even more so back then, but it's, it's still much, so much of a problem now that it is like a massive barrier to stop women wanting to continue into the sport. And I think I just felt it so strongly when I was younger and I could see how difficult it was to play and then continue with all your other jobs and stuff. And, it's just highlighted it so much more now. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I mean, obviously, you say you played with quite a few girls who were good level, and they just stopped playing. Yeah. It's 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 something that I want to come back to in the t with regards to where I think you're going to go in terms of your time at QPR. But if you could go back to that time, that QPR, if you as as you are right now, could you if you were to go back to the time, what would you say to the the individuals who who were running the club, what they needed to do? It, what do you mean in terms of what the development in terms of in terms of the drop off of girls getting yeah. to sixteen and then saying I don't want to play anymore, you know what would you look at and what would you implement there if you were in charge? Mm. 
it's a good question and it's i i ended up coaching um when i was going back to university and i think that i one of the teams that i coached was the under 16s um, of another another completely different club but you see it there and you you can hear them and you they, they talk about school and they talk about boyfriends or girlfriends and they talk about um you know different pressures they have from family different religious pressures and it's difficult because if they if the only person they might have actually expressed that to is their football coach and then you take the opportunity away from them or they feel like they can't go they suddenly don't have anyone to speak to so i think having really really good welfare support within clubs is really important especially to help with um, young people's mental health which is um you know a really really key issue interlocks with like loads of other other problems that people might be experiencing so definitely having like good welfare support i think also encouraging them that or having people who have gone through similar things at a different stage and have made it you know to where they are today to have like those role, role models they can see that are very visible um and have them come in and talk to the, the teams or you know having that person as a coach or as assistant coach or as a mentor you know having a lot of people around them that they can speak to i think is really important because i didn't have i didn't have a female coach when i was growing up at all uh, i didn't even know one um i think the only two footballers i knew when i was growing up was was uh rachel yankee faye white i think maybe kelly smith at some point came into the mix but you know that was through like scrolling through teletext when i was a kid and trying to find out like if england had won like some massive game that they were playing and it's just it's crazy how much things have changed but um i think that you know having a, a, a much stronger sense of like support around players is really key yeah, you mentioned teletext. So a lot of people will be looking, going, "What? What is this teletext you talk of? What, what is?" This? I'm really like showing my age. <laughs> teletext is this really fun thing, guys. It was like the most fun thing I ever did on a Sunday, which was it's this really rubbish. I'm trying not to swear. I'm quite sweary. Um, it's this really rubbish uh, service you get on like your TV, where you just presses a text button on your remote, and then it comes up with like all this text, and it's the one place to go when you're trying to find out. This is before the time of like smartphones. You get an instant notification if your team scored a goal to find out what the football scores were. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> you can I, feel that. I know. I know exactly what teletext is. I'm just thinking a lot of people will be going, "What, what is yeah. teletext?" They'll be looking at each other, going, "What is teletext? What's this? What is it?" It's like it's like the original version of Twitter without people being horrible. <laughs> original version of twitter oh my god but on a bigger screen <laughs> on a bigger screen and really rubbish and they had rubbish games as well oh really gosh. Rubbish that's anyway. that's so funny um yeah you made some really good points in terms of what the access and, and the mental health support and the actual role models and you know you, you answered the question before i asked it who did you who was your role model who could you look up to and you mm. you know basically you named a few but in terms of visibility, there were there were none that you would actually say I could point my finger to directly and say I, I, I aspire to be you or I want to be yeah. like you. Um, things have definitely changed. Um, so you you, you 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 take a break. Obviously, you focus on your academic side. So before we get to QPR, what do you do in between leaving Crystal Palace and then joining QPR? What takes up your time? Oh, so that's that's quite. It's a quite a big gap, actually. Cause yeah, it is. About, yeah, it would have been two thousand and three up until when I joined QPR. When I yeah, from two thousand and sixteen. So it's quite. It's a long time. Um, I did play football, obviously, in between this time, but that's when I was more at university. So yeah, when I was sixteen, just focused on my A levels. Wanted to do really well. Wanted to go to uni. 
Um, went to like an arts uni, did an undergrad then um, in script writing. Loved it. It was amazing. Had a really good time. Um, then I took a year out to try and get a bit more work experience. Then went back into uni, did a master's degree. Started playing football properly then because uh, there aren't very many sports teams in arts colleges, turns out. Um, so um, they didn't really have very many opportunities to play much sports there. But yeah, when I went to um, do my master's degree, they um, had loads of sports teams. So I kind of got back into football there. And I was hella rusty. Like I was really, I remember my first session and I had to walk up the stairs the next day to try and get to my department. And I was like an old woman. Like I couldn't do it. And I, was, I was 21, so I had no excuse. But um, yeah, it was really, really hard. And then, um, and then when I finished that, I did some more work experience and went back into uni and did a PhD. And that took four and a half years. And in that time, that's when I, you know, you can't, you have more time in a way when you do something like a PhD because you're controlling your own workflow. You can, you organize your own work and you have the opportunity to do other things if you need to, as long as you obviously do all the work that you need to do. Um, so I like that, that sense of freedom. And I really use that um, to, to the best of its extent, really, to get as much football under my belt and do loads of stuff in the gym and do extra training, get my fitness, you know, to be really, really good. Um, and just worked really, really hard in that time. And it wasn't easy because you get a lot of pressure when you're writing up like a thesis that's the size of a book. Um, and being able to have to do that and then also try and pursue football at the same time was really hard. Um, but I'm really glad that I did it. Gave me a few gray hairs, but it's okay. I'm over it now. Yeah, so so you are officially really not just Haley Peacock, you're Doctor Haley Peacock. Yeah, I try not to use that term because it makes me really embarrassed. Unless I'm getting on a plane and then I love to tell like put it on my flight ticket. Put it on your flight ticket. Yeah. Like I can't do if someone passes out, can't do anything, but I could probably give them an interview or yeah. uh, do a focus group, but yeah. I can I can help them out. So what was your PhD in? What did you take that, which area did you focus on? So my PhD is in cultural geography. So I looked at how communities come together and they try and change their urban environments to make them better, basically. Um, oh. But I looked at a lot of colours. Colours was my focus, which is um, it's quite amusing because in geography, when you're growing up, geography is the subject where you just colour things in. But I actually had to do that in my thesis. <laughs> so in my PhD, I went and helped an artist like, paint um, an old bingo hall um i colored that in um to see to kind of assess like how people view colors as a way of kind of changing space so um so that made, gave me lots of joy that's very different yeah yeah it's uh, geography is pretty wacky it's pretty um yeah it's pretty trendy i think now as well there's like there's so many things you can do with geography it's definitely not all rocks and geology and you know all that sort of stuff you can do it's very broad and fun so if anyone wants geography, I'm massively in favour of that. All right, then take note, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Hayley Peacock has spoken. I always talk about geography as well to the girls and the team. If we're going over any kind of like on the way to a match, and I'm like, oh, look at those undulating hills and the evidence <laughs> of glaciation. They're like, shut up. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, God. So I take it that when you're travelling to games, you, you'll probably have the seat to yourself. Yeah, pretty much. No one wants to sit with me. Oh, that's good. I'm sure. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. They don't want to. <laughs> when we used to get coaches the games. Everyone would be like, oh, I don't want to sit next to Haley. 
we would count all the pheasants and stuff that's, that we're, we're driving past. Oh, gosh. Entertain. If it's a long journey, then you've got, you got to do what you've got to do. You know? You've got to do what you've got to do. <laughs> right. You train, you get better coaching, you, you strengthen up in the gym, your fitness has improved, as you mentioned earlier. You then sign for Queen's Park Rangers. How did that come about? Um, I... I went to a couple of trials, so I was went to a few trials at like Charlton and West Ham, um, and then also a QPR. Um, and I just felt that QPR were they were able to kind of give me opportunities for playing first team football, which is what I really wanted. Um, it was really far away, which was quite off-putting at the start. So it takes it takes me still like a couple of hours to get to training, and I was only put off that because I didn't want to arrive into training really tired or late um and i didn't want to get back like super late and then be rubbish the next day at work so um that was quite hard but when i when i first joined like we had a really good group of, of girls that started um and you know got on really well with all of them and i remember playing my first game and i was like you know you know really proud to wear like a qpr shirt and you do get a lot of pride and and honor when you you put on that shirt like it means it means a lot to so many people um so I think that really, that definitely really helped um, make the decision. And we just had so many great like people who were backing us as well. I mean, we had loads of people regularly come into games and they all knew your name and, um, you know, they, they know what you're about and what, what kind of stuff you do outside of football. And I, I felt that was a really nice community feel. Didn't really get that from other places, but um, yeah, I really liked it. But then QPR went through a big change anyway. So last season, they went through a massive change where they kind of... Um, absorbed the women's team into the girls development sort of set up and had a much stronger journey for the younger kids up into senior squad which I think was a change that needed to be made um so it wasn't too separate um but yeah so I kind of experienced it from both sides from the original kind of QPR setup and then the new one that we've got at the moment with um Steve Quashy. And what's it like um with the new setup how is this the kind of setup you wished you'd experienced when you were at crystal palace yeah it's it's like the it's like the model example i think of of how i wish things were when i was growing up you know there's like really clear development there are no barriers like the girls some of the younger teams they play on the same training nights as us and they can see us like training and stuff and we'll come down and we'll like help them out sometimes in sessions or we always say hi and they're always like really shy because it's like the senior team but um it really helps them to see kind of where they can eventually go to. And I think that really helps because I never got to see, you know, what a woman's footballer looked like when they were like in their final form. You know, it's just, it was always this thing that I would have to wait to see in like maybe a newspaper article if the World Cup had been on or something, you know, really extreme. Um, but yeah, it's an it's a amazing setup. It's really, really well thought through. Um, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes. And I think a lot of the times you can, you know that stuff gets gets done behind the scenes and you kind of presume it always kind of just happens. But with this, like you just, our manager and our coaches, they will go through all the footage of games. They'll look at every single corner kick that we had to defend against and they'll analyze it, you know, to the T and give us the feedback that we need to help, to help us develop as individuals and also as a unit and as a team, just to help with one tiny thing. And that's a lot of work and I've never had someone do that in a, in a team that I've been in before. So I think, you know, attention to detail is something that they definitely bring to the setup, And that's across the whole, the whole club 
you know we have the our phrase is one team one dream so it's um it's it's definitely a, a more of a family thing now than it was before oh that's good i mean what league which league should i say do, does qpr women play in so we're in team? tier five so it's a premier of the greater london women's football league it's a bit of a mouthful um and then the tier above us is the women's national league so that's where there's two tiers, tiers two and uh, tiers three and tiers four, so just above us, then in the national league setup, and then tiers one and two are sort of where the professional and semi-professional teams play. Mm. And um, during your time at the club, who've been your toughest opponents that you've played against? Oh, so we we some of the cups. Um, the cup competitions you play in, we will obviously play against teams in the higher divisions, which is a really good challenge for us because our ambition is to be promoted. You know, we want to obviously, like any team, we want to we want to go up the ranks as much as we can. So we played against um, Leighton Orient, um, who are who are you know title challengers in the league above us, and we were leading the game actually for quite a while. Um, and we were playing amazingly. We had a really good game, but um, I think it's just there levels of experience and you know they've they've got some players who've got really really good um footballing cvs you've come from really big teams before and and carry with them like all that experience and knowledge so uh, they they beat us 2-1 which actually when you think about it for an entire league above us you know we gave them a really good game um and i know their coach really well and you know he was really he was so impressed with how we played so they were really tough i think in our league um i've got huge respect for donna hamlet because they're um, you know, they've got a really great team. They've got a really great setup as well. You know, they're really commu- community focused. They do everything they can to help the community. Um, and they, you know, they've got a really strong team. And I think with them, they've got a lot of players that have been there for a really long time. So they know each other really well. Um, what we don't have is we've got loads of young players. So a lot of the girls end up going to university or kind of moving, moving away for various reasons. Um, but I think they've had, they've got like a particular cohort of people that they've kept for a really long time. So yeah, we've got our strengths in, in the sense that we've got a really, really young squad. Um, but then sometimes they do move on, they go to uni, far away and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, Dulwich are a really, really tough team. Um, it's always been a good battle whenever we played against each other. Like it's a, it is a serious, it's a fight. Like we've got good respect for each other, but we both want to win so badly. <laughs> so yeah. they're definitely, I- yeah. I have I'd to like be honest. I've I've seen. I saw the last game. So our last game. Yeah, I think the game you were playing against. You were at 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 Dulwich Hamlet's ground. Yeah. Yeah. Is it the really emotional one? Um. God. I, I, well, it was just this season. Um. Before Christmas. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes. Yes, it was a very difficult game to watch. It was tough. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the ground. Um, yeah. You obviously work full time. Yeah. Um, how do you balance work with football? It's hard, um, but we all have to do it in the team. If we're not working full time, we're coaching or we're, we're at school. So everyone has to do it. Um, it's really hard. I work in East London and we train in West London. So it involves getting a really horribly busy, pre-lockdown anyway, a really horribly busy train right across town, which can be quite unpleasant at the best of times. 
Um, it is really tough, but I think like when I was at uni, I had to mix football with studying and that just gave me quite a good uh, understanding of how my body reacts, I think, to football and how much time I need to recover to be able to work well. So I'm quite upfront with my workplace and they know that I play. So they, they know that there's certain days that I'll work really long hours because I haven't got a training night and then there'll be days I work shorter shorter day just so I can manage it a bit better so it's about understanding what works the best that you can still perform well at training and in games and not be completely exhausted from from work but then also be realistic and understand that you know I have to I have to work and I haven't got a choice for that I'd love to I'd love to not be able to work and then be able to focus just on football but that's not the reality for the players in, in our league at the moment so um it is quite hard um but like I said everyone we all have to do it and it's just just the way it is. Just the way it is. Just what it is. I mean, it's uh, you're very fortunate that you have employers that are understanding, you know. So uh, I would say some employers probably aren't always as understanding as people believe that they are. But you, no. you are very fortunate. So um, are no. you working in an area that's linked to your PhD or is it something totally different? Um, so I'm still in research, which I guess is linked then, but um, it, the field is different. So... Uh, I do research on homelessness in London. So um, yeah, not not specifically geography related, but um, but definitely I have to use yeah. all my research. Yeah. So I have to stretch my research muscles every day. Yeah, human geography. Human yes, geography. exactly. Yeah, yes. Of um, Good you knowledge know, from you. Good geography knowledge. <laughs> Just yeah. Uh, as a player at Queens Park Rangers, you what's your position? I'm a fullback. You're fullback, and you played well, in that position. Is it fullback, wingback? Yep, preferably. I do quite like. I used to be a winger when I was. Um, that was my. I was right winger all through my life, and then I used to. Um, I used to love slide tackling to the extent that I remember once when I played. So we, I did play in the boys' um, school team when I was growing up, and I had to stand up. It was so embarrassing when I was in primary school for the man of the match award once. And they, they dedicated the man of the match award because I was like so in favour of doing slide tackles, which I still do now all the time. Not all the time. I've definitely calmed down, but I got to hone in my, my slide tackling when I was a kid. But I had to stand up and be like, oh, man of the match is Hayley Peacock. Oh, that wonderful slide tackle that she did on number 11. So I realised I actually quite like um, defending. Like I really like that battle. Um, I'm definitely not afraid like, to get stuck in. So um when 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 the the kind of traditional fullback became a bit more the fullback we see today where there's lots of attacking play that was perfect for me so i um yeah i kind of got to got to have the experience of being an attacker uh on the flanks but then also got to get to practice a lot of defending and you know discipline and stuff like that that you, you need as a defender so you do indeed you do indeed um how long have you been at the club now what seven Yes. What, get QPR? Yeah. <laughs> How's your maths? <laughs> it's, it's my, I think my fourth season now. It feels like, it feels like seven years. It does, yeah, it yeah. It does feel like seven years. I wish, wish I'd been there for... You can be at a club four years and it feels like seven. I know, yeah. I definitely feel like, I feel like one of the old guard. But um, yeah. yeah, players do move on quite quickly um, in, in other teams. They sort of stay for maybe a year or two and then move on. But yeah, what, we're really lucky in that there's players in our team like Kay Shukati, I know you're, you're speaking to later, he's an absolute legend. He's yeah. been in the club for 14 years 
Um, we've had other players who've been in for like nine, 10 years. Um, and it's incredible. And it just shows, it's a testament really to how good the setup is that people want yeah. to stay. And even yeah. when they've been offered, you know, clubs that are playing in higher leagues, often people just, they don't, they don't go because they love it so much. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite impressive. It's really quite impressive. impressive. What, what are your hopes in terms of your footballing career as you move forward or next year, two years, three years? What do you think you will want to do or want to achieve? Um, I definitely, in, in sort of more the shorter term, for looking towards like this season, I definitely want us to, to get promoted and sort of be able to challenge more regularly um, those, those, those more difficult teams and going into tier four. And then eventually, obviously, as, as the years go on, we really want to become a professional team. Like, it's, we've said that from, from the start, I think, of our restructuring. Our plan is we, we, want, to, we, want, to, we want to compete. You know, we want to be really good, um, a really good competition for the higher level teams. And that's obviously going to take time and investment. So that's not something that we, we expect could happen overnight. But, um, you know, we definitely want to, we want to do that. Um, Individually, though, um, I've I'm I love coaching, so I've taken my coaching badges. I know you're not really meant to call them badges anymore because um, it makes it sound like you're at brownies or something. But um, I've got my UEFA B. I would like to eventually sort of do my UEFA A, um, working in a club that will allow me to do that and, and develop. So um, I don't know, maybe that's QPR. That that would be that would be perfect. That would be amazing. But um, I think being able to help grow the community of female footballers and female coaches um, is my kind of my ambition, I think, for the future. Great. It's really, really straight. I asked that question um, towards the end, in a sense, because I feel when we started, you talked about what your life was like at Crystal Palace, what you didn't have. Yeah. What you, what caused you not to continue between the ages of 16 to your early 20s. And you wanna, you're looking now about how you would be a coach and you understand the importance of having a, a continuous path for, mm. for, for young girls, young boys, as they go through their teenage years so that they can see the progression and, and actually see the steps that they need to take to get to their destination. Um, I do hope you get to do your A license. I do hope it's with uh, QPR. But I'm going to ask you, if you didn't do that, if you didn't do your, your what, what would you do with regards to football? If you didn't go down that road, what would you do? If I didn't go down a coaching road? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tough because I, I can't play forever, sadly. <laughs> and I definitely, I'm 33 now. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely squeezing out as much as I can of my, of my body before I, I can't keep up with all the youngsters anymore. But um, I think just being able, I would, I mean, I love football and I always want to be involved in football. So if it's not as a coach, it could be like as the mentor for, for some of the young players, just to, just to show them sort of how, because I think, you, you know, one thing you touched on um, is about sort of having that clearer journey for players, boys and girls to like go from A to B or wherever they want to go. But actually for girls, that journey is not the same as a boy in, in so many respects, you know, there's not, it's not a case of sort of setting things up for them to then reach their goal. There's so many challenges that girls face, um, you know, from harassment or from having to prove their self-worth or from, you know, societal pressures that they might have when they're at that drop-off age that I, I got to as well, where they stop playing football. 
um, not having that kind of support, not not seeing it as a as a, a way of being able to to make a career out of their you know their love for the game because many girls don't end up playing professionally and, and uh, having the contract that allows them to to play professionally and not have to work at the same time, which is totally different. I know for boys it's it's different too because you know it, you'll be that one percent that might get to um, to play professionally, um, and there's so many other things that they might have to experience like dropping out of an academy and having to deal with mental health um or lack of mental health support maybe around that um so so yeah I think that girls and boys journeys are are totally different um and I think being able to have someone that's not necessarily you always your coach um that you can go to as a mentor um or kind of any kind of like a touch point within your team or within your school or within your club that you can go to and, and talk to about any issues that you have. I think it's really important. Otherwise it's just too easy to just not go to training the next night yeah. and then just start the next night after that and then not go to a game and then stop playing. You know what? It has been really interesting hearing you talk about your journey um, and, the, and the difficulties as well. Even though you haven't mentioned it as difficulties, it hasn't come across as being difficult, but they must have been but you've you've been very positive in the way you've described your path. You know, Mm. just not having that that continual path from a teenager to a young woman. Um, But you seem upbeat and you seem to have an idea about what you want to do and you put forward what I see as solutions in terms of what needs to be changed or what needs to be added to the game so that there is a clear clear structural progression path for, for young girls and young boys um i want to i want to thank you and i'm going to use your full title dr <laughs> hayley peacock <laughs> i'm going to thank you dr hayley peacock for, oh. sh- for sharing your uh, your journey so far and i want to ask you i want to ask you i, I want to I, I know that the season is due to start very soon I want to, to know, will, will you be able to come back on the podcast and, and share um, how things have gone for you and your team throughout the season and, uh, and, and uh, the journey continues? Of course. That's good. Absolutely. It'll be a busy old season, I'll tell you that. It's busy. Lots going on. Well, well, I'll do my best to try and get down to the fixture with Dulwich Hamlet. That's what we'll say that and I'll wave from the sideline. Yes, you will love it. I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm going to say thank you very much for joining me today. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Well, don't go anywhere. I need to say goodbye to these guys. Uh, that was it from On and Off the Pitch, an interview with the right, honourable Dr. Hayley Peacock. See, I've got you <laughs> there. <She's, laughs> uh, until next time, uh, bye for now. <laughs>